The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm 119, verses 107 uh, to 112. Uh, While you're turning there, getting your notes ready, mountain climbers could save time and energy if they reach the summit in a helicopter. But their ultimate purpose is conquest, not efficiency. Sure, they want to reach a goal, but they desire to do it by testing and deepening their character, discipline, and their resolve. Now, God could create scientists, mathematicians, athletes, and musicians, but he doesn't. He creates children who take on those roles over a long process. God doesn't make us fully Christ-like the moment we're born again. He conforms us into the image of Christ gradually. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. So family, in our spiritual lives, as in our professional lives, and in sports and hobbies, we improve and we excel by handling failure and learning from it. Only in cultivating discipline, endurance, and patience do we find satisfaction and we find reward. And those qualities are most developed through some form of suffering. Here we go. I remember there was a time period, I want to say a short time period in my life in college where I tried rock climbing. I actually did it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to climb Mount Everest, man. I, I'm going to do this. You know, I, I thought it'd be cool having ropes. And the whole, the whole thing is, is just amazing. If you guys haven't did, done some research or, or looked and watched things on rock climbing, rock climbing is fascinating. And it's absolutely an incredible, incredible sport. But what many people, like myself, do not understand is the amount of time it actually takes to even get to the place where you're conditioned enough to climb a wall, much less a mountain. And here's the thing. We went to the gym. This is my first day rock climbing. I had the shorts, you know, the cool rock climbing shorts and the shoes. It's like, that's right, I got this. Got to the wall, and, and so with our, our wall at the gym, it's colors. So, I mean, there's, there's these little things that you can grab all over the place, but the colors are the ones. So if you have, if there's a red one here, you reach for a red one, you look for the next red one, and you grab the red. That's the skill level. So I took the first, the basic skill level. Just skill, or just the basic. I'm going to be like, yeah, I got this. I totally got this. So I get up on the wall, boom, boom, dun, 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 getting closer to the wall. <laughs> Touch the top. Yeah. I got this. Then the next time I'm like, okay, it's my turn. Yeah, it's my turn. Okay. Get it up. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Barely. Third time. Get up, my turn. 
like one, two, and by the time I hit the third grab, I couldn't feel my fingers anymore. It was just clunk. I was down on the ground. They were like, oh, you want to try again? I said, I don't think so. I was surprised at how much effort this actually takes. It's not easy to climb the wall. One time, yeah, everything is going, but what happens is you start to develop this muscle atrophy starts to happen in your head. So by the time I got to my third time, it was like I couldn't grab on anything. And then it was just like, okay, eye opener. This guy's just like, okay, well, what you need to do, Shane, is you got to get conditioned for this. So he starts showing me things like, okay, you got to get this palm grip thing. You got to do the ball. You got to be doing squats. You got to have this machine helps you do squats and all this stuff. And then the thing that, that, that ended it all for me was then he says, and then you need to buy this pull-up bar because you got to do pull-ups. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I got to do pull-ups. That, that's how I'm going to work out, right? So I get this bar. And I'm like, where's the bar? I, there's this pull-up things with these little nubs on it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you put your hand here with your fingers, and I'm supposed to do pull-ups with my fingers? <laughs> these little holes that you stick your fingers in, and I'm supposed to do pull-ups with these little holes? And I was like, you know how long it's going to take me before I can actually, well, it's normally good to, you know, if you can do like 10 or 20 reps. I can't even do one rep. Isn't there some kind of pill that I can take? <laughs> Family, you got to train hard if you're gonna climb a mountain. You have gotta train hard just to climb that wall. <laughs> Thousands of squats and lunges. In other words, lots and lots of suffering just to climb a mountain. See, I think many times in our culture today, we look for the easy way. Now again, I understand growing up, my uncle used to have this saying, Shane, work smarter, not harder. But what has happened with Generation X, the boomers taught us work smarter, not harder, but Gen X kind of came in and just said, how about we just work smarter all the time? But what we mean is there's got to be an easier way to do this. We look for the easy way. We look for the magic pill. We look for the, the weekend seminar getaways where I go for the weekend and then they give me the certificate saying that I'm an expert in this now. The better, easier, and fast way to do things. Now the surprising thing that I find in the church today is the number of professing Christians who are actually surprised by the long, difficult, and painful road that is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. There's no magic pill. There's no weekend getaway. It's not overnight. It's not a weekender. As Christians, we're not promised a life free of difficulty and pain. 
in the actuality, in all actuality, these things are actually required for us to be made into the image of the Son of God. God wants us to be mature. How many of us want maturity? One person. God wants us to be complete. I want to be complete. God wants us to be not lacking in anything. I want that. We all will say we want that. Yeah, God wants me to be mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. Yeah, I want that. Do you know what the Bible says needs to happen in order for that to happen? James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Whoa, we all want to be mature, we all want to be complete, we all want to be not lacking in anything, but none of us wants to suffer. Wait a minute. Okay, I want to be mature, complete, not lacking in anything, but I got to suffer to get there. Shane, is there a pill I can take for this? There like some kind of seminar I can go to to make this happen? I mean, seriously, suffering? Christianity, family, friends, Christianity, it's a process. The Lord didn't intend for us to be given the gift of repentance, the gift of faith, and a new heart, and boom, we're Christ-like. I wish that was the case. I'm with you, I'm, I'm, I'm with everybody. I wish that was the case. I wish there was a pill. I wish there was a weekend seminar I go to. I, I wish all of that too. The sons and daughters of God though, however, are fashioned by God. We are developed by God. We are conformed. Romans chapter eight, verse 29, Romans eight twenty-nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We are both being and becoming children of the living God, more and more transformed into the image of the son of God. But Shane, oh my gosh, why sin? Why evil? Why hardship? Why attacks? Why hostility? Why suffering? Why pain? Why contention? Why tribulation? Why persecution? Why don't you just take all of those things away? Why can't he just do that? Why can't we just be made that way? Why do we have to go through all of this stuff? Why does he use this? Why Indeed. I'm going to share with you a secret today. Actually, it's not a secret, but, you know, sometimes I feel like we're so biblically illiterate that things in the Bible are actually secrets. (laughs) I don't know how many times I've heard, I didn't know that was in the Bible. But you read it every day. Yeah, okay. Watch this. I want to show you guys something. 
Sometimes I think when we go to the book of Judges, we just kind of, Gideon, oh, I love this story. Samson, oh, I love this story. The Levite whose concubine was cut into 12 pieces, I love that story. I mean, we go to the, yeah, some of y'all didn't even know there was a story about a Levite whose concubine got cut into... Here, here, here's the thing. We, that's, that's, sometimes I feel like that's what we do. We, we read the Bible, but then we go to the stories that we like. And we, but see, sometimes I just wonder, are, are we really understanding what's really happening here? So Judges, chapter 2, the very beginning, verse 20, starting at verse 20. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. Okay, here's the secret. Here's the point. Oh, this is going to be worth the price of admission today. I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. The Lord did this now. He did not drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to the generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Are you guys following me here? This is huge. God left the Canaanites. He was the one saying, I left them in the land for a reason, to test you and to train you for battle. Ooh. And if you get this, you're going to be, you know, in the, the, the higher echelon, in the maturity category. The nations, Philistines, all Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon from Mount Baal, Hermon, to Leblamath, those people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. And what happened? So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, the Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons, and the Israelites served other gods. He did this to test. To test. That's why there's these things here. Shane, why doesn't God take all of these problems away? Yeah. You know how easy it is to serve God when everything is going good? You know what I'm saying? Life is good. You got the job. You convinced your parents to buy the car. And because you got the car, you got the girl. You got good grades this last semester, you know. And so you go out, you buy yourself a brand new suit from Eddie Bauer. 
then you come to Central Baptist Church and you start walking in. God is good. Yeah. He's my man. He's my friend. Obviously, he's my friend. You got anything to say about God, you come to me. Family, it's so easy. Praise and worship song going on. The band's playing. Guitar's out of tune. Singers are going, and you're still, Lord, you're good. All and everything is great. It's easy for us to serve God when everything is going good. But you know what the test is? Can you still do it when everything is bad? That's the test, family. That's the test. Let's find out. Shane is walking in there. Shane's looking good today, but he's looking like Frank, you know? He's looking good. (laughs) But you know why that's happening? It's because everything is going good for him. Let's find out what he's really made out of. That's suffering, family. That's tribulation. That's difficulty. That's having to deal with these things. It's all here to to test us, to teach us the wonders of the plan of God for his people, his covenant, and his glory. This is why we suffer. This is why we endure. This is why we are to persevere even under severe suffering. We must go to God. Even though going to God is the last thing many of us want to do. Get ready. Fasten your seatbelt, Central Baptist Church. This is what our psalmist did. Let's check it out. Psalm 119, verses 107 to 112. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulation. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I won't stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure, and they are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, all the way to the very end. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we'll look at today is how in severe suffering, our tendency is to run from God. But the psalmist is saying here, what we need to do is we need to run to God because he promises to restore us. Second, we're gonna see how the truth of the gospel is that light and how it is essential for everything. So our thesis statement is this today. Though sin and the pattern of this world urge and tempt us with conforming to it, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will show us the true beauty of suffering, the glory of God, the gospel, and the wonderful joy that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. So family, we run to God and don't look back when we're suffering. When it's time and we're suffering and we are weak, 
there should be only one thing on your mind. God. And don't look back. Run to God. Don't look back. You know one of the things I found? I found that for people who do that, you know what, Shane? All, all it is right now, it's just reckless abandon. I am, abandonment. I am going through so much in my life right now. The only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to run to God. I just, I, whatever, I don't care what happens. I'm just running to God. My eyes is fixed on Jesus. It's all I'm fixed on. And he's walking, he's walking, going through life with his eyes fixed on Jesus. You know what I've never, ever heard from an individual that does that? That they regret doing it? Nobody has ever said to me, hey, you know what, Shane? I regret just fixing my eyes on Jesus. Seriously, never heard anybody do that. But all I hear through all the years I've been in ministry, people regret not fixing their eyes on Jesus. That's constant. I mean, I, I still have yet, I mean, some of y'all may feel this in your heart. I have still yet, after over 30 years of ministry, I still have yet people tell me they regret going to church. I haven't heard anyone, Shane, man, life would have been so much better for me if I just didn't go to church today. Never heard that. You know what I hear? You know what, Shane? I regret that I didn't go to church today. Fix your eyes upon God. Focus on him. Fix your eyes on him. Abandon everything else and fix your eyes on him. But Shane, I got this, I got this, I got this in life, I got this. Just focus on God and just run with it. Well, Shane, I don't know. Is that really biblical? Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. That's all we do. Fix our eyes upon Jesus. What happens if you make the Lord your number one priority? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's going to happen? All these things will be added to you. Seek ye first the kingdom. And our psalmist today illustrates this very important thing when it comes to suffering. And not just any suffering, but the, the Hebrew rendering in there wants us to see that it's not just regular suffering, if that's such a thing. It's severe suffering. So much suffering that he feels like the suffering that he's going through right now is actually life-threatening. Now, in our culture today, we don't understand those words, life-threatening. You know, for, in, a, in a lot of cases, for the most part, we don't feel like our life is threatened. Our issue in our culture today is that, that we're struggling today because our suffering is lifestyle-threatening. That's what we're having a hard time about, aren't we? It's just like, man, I got to sell my Mercedes and buy me a new Kia. Lord, this is what I do for you. I suffer for you. For him, inspired by God, does not, he does not turn to inward pity. He doesn't turn to the woe is me. He doesn't feel sorry for himself and he doesn't complain. What does he say he does? I am under severe suffering. I am going to turn to the Lord in praise. Because in the end, isn't that all we can really give? It's all I got, God. I ain't got no money. I can't pay you off. 
All I can give you, Lord, is my praise. So he comes, turns to the Lord, gives him praise. Now, family, we hear it and we go, yeah, that's right. When we're having a hard time, we, we got to praise him. We think we believe it. We nod our heads when it's preached. Oh, yeah, 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 that's the case. But when severe suffering comes, why is it that we turn from God? We know we're not supposed to. We know that's what we're supposed to do is turn to God. Why is it that we turn from God? If you are wondering the same thing, go ahead and scratch your head like this. <laughs> Maybe not outwardly. For many of us, we've turned our heart from God inwardly. There's many people that I have met in the church who come to church every single Sunday whose hearts are turned from God. For over 30 years of pastoral ministry, family, this issue, suffering, trials, tribulation, hardship, pain, all of these things, this is the number one reason why people turn away from the church and turn away from the Lord and turn away from the living God. This is why. It happens. It happens all the time. Suffering, and not even severe suffering sometimes. Just, you know, I lost the keys to my car and I was late to work and the Lord abandoned me. In the end, when I'm counseling with these individuals, I'm talking to these individuals, a lot of times they don't even call me back. But when I call these individuals and I ask them about this stuff, it is always pain, suffering, difficulty in life and they always say this, God left me. God abandoned me. God has forsaken me. He turned his back on me, so now I'm gonna turn my back on him. I did so much for him and this is how he's gonna repay me? I sacrificed so much for him and this is how he's gonna repay me? I devoted my heart to him. And this is how he's going to repay me? He turned on me, so I'm going to turn on him. And they walk away. Family, this happens all the time. What's well, interesting how the psalmist tells us that we're not supposed to do this. And I bring it up and I said, hey, we are not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to turn our back on God. I made, uh, I made sacrifices. I made sacrifices to the Lord and he's allowing me to go through this. This is how he repays me? And I said, it's really funny. Why do, you, why do we always go to God and we treat God like he's a stock? What do I mean by that? Oh, come on. I've been paying into this stock. I made sacrifices for this stock. Where's my dividends? I, I stood up for the stock. I, 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 I sacrificed for it. And this is how it's going to repay me? Why do we treat our God like he's our employer? I did my job. Why isn't he giving me my paycheck? The last time I checked, our Heavenly Father was our Father. You know, my dad illustrated that to me once. Dad, 
I'm mowing the lawn. My friend mows the lawn and, and he gets paid. How come you're not paying me? And he said, son, you're mowing the lawn because you love me. Yeah, I get it now. Back then I was like, what are you smoking? I love you, Dad, but not that much. <laughs> I don't work for free. But our psalmist says we don't do that. Why? Because the Lord promises to restore us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. It's amazing. All the scriptures, when we talk about suffering, it's amazing what it promises it's going to do in the end. The amazing things it promises to do in the end. I saw, I saw a, a, a documentary uh, once and they were talking about the purification of gold and they showed this gold nugget. It was all dirty and had stuff in it and it was like all, you know, it's just, it's like, ew, that's gold? And then they put it in the furnace and they pulled it out and man, it was like, you know, one of those shiny gold bars that you see in the movies that, you know, when they open up the vault at Fort Knox if that really exists. Beautiful what happens when it goes through the fire. That's not just gold. It's everything. Family, it's also Christians. Man, I tell you what, some of the most encouraging things is talking to Christians when they get through the fire. You ever, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Those Christians who, who went through severe trauma, severe suffering, and they come out of it and it's like they're glowing man they come to church and they're glowing and you sit down and talk to them and they got such amazing insight you know I remember I remember once this this young lady she went through the fire and she sat down and she just said you know Shane after all is said and done she goes I think I understand what the Bible means when uh, it says my grace is sufficient for you oh Dude, that like, I, it was like revival broke out in my heart, man, when she just said that. And she, she not only heard the word, but she lived through that. And she was able to say, Shane, the only reason why I got through this was by the grace of God. His grace is sufficient for you. And if it was sufficient for me with the, the, the stuff I went through, Man, it's sufficient for you. Amazing what happens. The foundation that they have. And here's my thing. Here's the question. When you think about it, it's just like, okay, you're not going to run to God. My question is, then where are you going to run to? 
I mean, for real, think about that. Where are you going to run through? The world promises, hey, come to me and, and I'll make all these things. You know, sure, the world promises. Sure, money promises. Money promises a lot, doesn't it? And if many of you, you know, have had the, the, the be able to say what Paul says, I know what it's like to be in plenty and I know what it's like to be in want, you know money promises. And you know what money delivers. Sure, popularity promises, but can they deliver? So many of us on the pursuit of this, and for many, when they get it, they realize something really profound. It doesn't help. It doesn't change anything. Family, I have friends. I got family members who were on this pursuit, and they attained it. They got it. I have one family member. He, he has all the money in the world right now. Super rich. Won't give me any when I ask for it. <laughs> you know what's funny? We, I go to Hawaii. I visit him. We go out to lunch. He makes me pay. That's probably why he got a lot of money, right? <laughs> He's divorced and doesn't talk to any of his kids. But he's got all the money in the world. One very wealthy friend of mine tells me the richer he got, the more his problems and his worries increased. He's like, man, I, I could sleep at night when I was poor. Family, only the Lord can truly restore us. We've got to get that. We've got to get that in our head. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. You know, and that's the one thing as Christians, what we've got to stop doing in Christians, in modern evangelicalism, what we've got to stop doing, we've got to stop being the people that's got to learn the hard way. Why do we got to learn the hard way? Can't we just listen to what God tells us? Only the Lord can truly restore. All of the things that we gain from the world, it doesn't restore. And in a lot of ways, it actually makes things worse. If you have the Lord today, if you have been restored by the Lord today, if the Lord is with you, you have his word. If you have Jesus today, if you have no money if you have no success, if you have no popularity, if you have no accolades, if you have no value from the world, if you have no love from the world, if you have nothing in life, you can still say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What else in this world can give you that? Still, I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. The question is, do we believe that? Come on, family, please tell me that all this preaching isn't for nothing. We got to realize that the suffering we receive only makes us stronger and glorifies the Lord more and more. Oh, but Shane, but you know, I didn't sign up for no battle. Well, Christianity is all about battle. 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you know what that means? It says our struggle, our war is not against flesh and blood. Why would the Bible tell you to put on the full armor of God? If life was supposed to be luxurious as Christians, then wouldn't the Bible say, you know, don't, don't put on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace? It would probably tell you to, you know, put on some Air Jordans or something. Instead of carrying around, you know, your Bible, which is your sword, it would tell you to go out and get you a Louis Vuitton bag <laughs> that's not made out of leather and costs $10,000. <laughs> you know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> you paid ten grand for a canvas bag? Okay. We're supposed to contend for the faith. We need experience in battle. See, in Judges, he wanted to teach them warfare. We need experience in battle. Do you know why? As a Christian, you are going to face battles every day. Suffering and tribulation teaches us to follow the Lord in suffering. Suffering makes us grow so that we can be conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are going to suffer. Many of us will suffer greatly for the Lord, but by the end, we're going to be more mature, more complete, more not lacking in anything, if that makes sense. But maybe we don't believe it. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't think so. But the reality is, family, the Bible says, Timothy, those who wanted to live a godly life might be persecuted. No. If you desire to live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted. You do anything God tells you, you're going to be persecuted. Follow the Lord. Stand up for what you believe. Live your life a certain way. I mean, people persecute me for the school we send our kid to, which is Janine. I mean, didn't Jesus tell us that what you hear in silent, what's whispered in your ear, I want you to declare that on the rooftops? And what happens to you in our culture today when you declare on the rooftop what the Lord told you? Have you guys seen my Facebook page lately? Have you guys seen what these people say to me for opening up my mouth and daring to say something as ridiculous as God exists? I mean, Candace sees, she's in there, she's in there laughing and talking to stuff and she's in there contributing to the battle. You know, but man, it's just, it's just bad now. I mean, they just, I, all I got to do is do a video that says, hey, God exists, have a nice day, and have 14,000 views with 1,000 people saying, you know what, there's such a thing called Invisalign, Shane. <laughs> They're just mean. Well, maybe don't put the camera so close to your face. Does God have something against Invisalign, Shane? 
God doesn't have anything against Invisalign. My wallet has something against Invisalign. <laughs> Family battles. There's going to be battles. We're going to suffer as Christians, especially if you are fixing your eyes upon Jesus, you will suffer persecution from the world. Maybe though, Shane, maybe God doesn't have my best interest in mind. Maybe he doesn't really love us. And the one I get a lot, Shane, this is not what I signed up for. And a lot of that is because, you know, I feel like sometimes when it comes to church, <laughs> it is kind of signing up. I feel like the church has gone to methods where we have more in common with military recruitment offices. If you sign up for membership at Central Baptist Church today, we will make sure that you are stationed in a tropical region. Tropical? Oh. You know, remember Frank and the Marines? They promised, I'll put you in a tropical area. Guam. <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for, Shane. Here it is. Sin. In sin. We don't understand the point of our suffering and don't understand the point of our walk with Christ. The philosophy of the world has penetrated the church, more specifically modern evangelicalism in America and spreading throughout all the world, but especially in America, and moving, and it's moving us in a direction that is not prescribed by the Lord in the scriptures. And family, it's my prayer that we do not follow the ways and pattern of this world. And every day I see modern evangelicalism doing that very thing. But saying, I don't see it. I don't see why we're not. I've been saying this and I have been banging the pulpit for the last, I, I don't know, however long I've been a senior pastor. I, I mean, I was a youth pastor. I didn't bang the pulpit as much then. But as a senior pastor, I have been saying this over and over again, we have got to be conscious of how the philosophies of the world is penetrating our church. And this is very pertinent to what I'm talking about today. Because family, I am told by many leaders in our own convention in the SBC, the leaders are these, these experts, all these, come, we have conversations, we have pastor meetings, we have all these get-togethers and things, and we talk about all these things, and I get, hey, Shane, man, I've been listening to your sermons on, on YouTube. I said, oh, you're the one, you know, and <laughs> listening to your sermons and hearing all these things that you're saying, stop preaching the way you're preaching. And I'm like, for real? And he goes, yes. They need sermons. People in our culture, they need sermons that's going to help them. I'm setting you up. So be careful when you guys say amen and nod your head. Just, just don't nod your head. Don't say amen until I tell you to. They need sermons that's going to help them through their daily lives. That's going to help them be better people. That's going to help fathers be better fathers, mothers be better mothers, children be better. Jesus is nothing to them 
unless you show them how Jesus can help them through their lives and help them be successful in what they're doing, help them to their journey, teach them how to become all that they can be and show them how the Bible can give them the good life that God promised. You guys know I've been training MMA now for five years. All I wanted to do was choke that guy out. <laughs> Punch him in the face first and then choke him out. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. This is not biblical. And the philosophies of the world has penetrated the church where the church has taken on this thing. This thing is this evil, evil word called pragmatism. It's the philosophy of our world. It originated in America. Now, now let, me, let me tell you something, just real quick. Let me tell you something about pragmatism. Do you know that philosophers for years have had difficulty trying to prove things and trying to make legitimate arguments by using methods apart from God? So they said, okay, let's throw God out of the picture. How are we going to live life? How are we going to know what's true? How are we going to do this? Let's do it. So they all start with rationalism. We're going to think about things. We're going to ponder things. So these are the guys that just kind of sat there and thought and did thought experience and come up. We'll come up with this stuff. You know, guys like Rene Descartes and Spinoza, Leibniz, all those guys. And they just thought, but then they realized that we all, that all these guys would come up with these conclusions, but they were all different. So, so they go, okay, well, rationalism doesn't work. You know what we're going to do? We're going to use science, empiricism. Yeah, science is going to come. And then they start doing science and they do all these kinds of things. And then they start to wonder like, how come these things don't work? How do we know this? You know, do, do we know what causation is? You know, we know that when, a, when a, uh, a ball on a billiard table, when you play pool, when the ball hits the ball, we see that the ball goes. So that's observable things. But then guys like David Hume comes in and says, you didn't see causation at all. All you saw was two events. One ball came, touched the other ball and went. You're assuming in your mind that causation actually happened. I, I'm not expecting you to get this. I'm just telling you this. And everybody was just like, oh, wow, there's a problem. Empiricism doesn't really work because our senses, we can't trust it, right? You're sitting in a restaurant. You see a girl start crying, and then she runs to the bathroom. And then you go, wow, that guy must have said something that hurt her. Shame on him. And then they leave, and it's just like, wow. That's a horrible guy. He made that girl cry in the restaurant. He said something really bad to her. And then we find out he just asked her to marry him. We can't trust our senses. So that's what science is coming to the place where science realized, okay, you know what? We can't trust our senses. We can't trust these types of things. So science doesn't work. So guess what happens in America? America goes like this. You know what? Let's stop wasting our time with this. Forget rationalism. We don't need to know the ultimate this of things in life anymore. We don't need to know objective morality anymore. We don't need to know all that. You know what we need to know? I just need to know how I'm going to get through life. This is the beginning of pragmatism. We don't mess with the big ultimate questions anymore. We just, how do we get through life? How can I be successful at life? Right and wrong has nothing to do with truth. 
It has everything to do with what works for me and what doesn't. Like I said, pragmatism impacted our world because I could say to Al, Al, you're a bad person. And Al would be like, okay, that hurt a little, but I'm not devastated. I call Al a loser and he's going to choke me out. Our culture is like that because we care more about success and failure than we do about right and wrong. You know what that is? Pragmatism. Right and wrong depends on what works and what doesn't. Okay, all of that to say this. How has this penetrated the church? It penetrated the church in that this is how we operate in modern evangelicalism today. So let's stop wasting our lives talking about all these deep theological truths that the Bible presents, all of these contentious things that people fight about, all these theological concepts, all these doctrines, all these things, once saved, always saved, all this stuff. We're so preoccupied with all these theological ideas and inferences and all this stuff of all these, you know, contentious ideologies of biblical doctrines and the reason why we have denominations because we're dealing with all of these difficult questions when it comes to the Bible. Let's forget about that. Let's just deal with the fact that we got to love God and just love our neighbor and then that, that's good. Let's just, just, just help me get through life. Help me to be successful. What is it? Teach me all, you see what I'm saying? Teach me all of these things to help this work out for me. Let's not ponder. Let's stop wasting our time on this stuff. Let's just deal with the principles of the good life. Ignoring the fact that Jesus says to teach them some of the things that I've taught you. No, Jesus says to teach them everything that I've taught you. Paul desires for us to experience the depths of the love of God. The author of the Hebrews desires us to progress farther than just milk. We're to tear down arguments and defend and contend for the faith. We are to love God with all of our minds and we're going to abandon. Don't give us that theology and that doctrine and all that crazy stuff. Just help me get through life. Help me be a good person. Give us what's helpful for the good things in life. This is the philosophy of modern evangelicalism today. That's why the guy was telling me, people don't want to hear that stuff. People don't want to hear about theology and doctrine. They don't want to hear about that stuff. Just tell them what it is that they need to do. You know, what's the minimum that they need to do to get into heaven? Just make sure they live a good life and make sure they get into heaven. Just tell them that. Family, this is why many in the church today, they get, you know what pastors Pastors, it's, it's phenomenal now. Pastors say that the most influential things in their life of what pastors are reading now is not the Bible. To prepare for their sermons, they don't read the Bible anymore. You know what they read? They read these books that were written by business entrepreneurs who got successful and they take those, those principles, try to find a scripture to pair it up with and that's what they preach on. They get their info for sermons from life coaching books and self-help business entrepreneurs. What in God's name do those guys know about what is to be proclaimed by the living God? Why are you getting your ideas from them? If they're not Christians, their minds are darkened, they're ignorant because of their hardness of heart. We don't get anything from them. Because they think that the purpose 
of our lives as Christians is to reap the benefits of the wonderful and generous God. It doesn't matter anymore what's true. What matters is what helps get my life and makes my life better. Being made in the image of God doesn't consist of the good things in life. Being conformed to the image of the Son doesn't consist in the, the good things that I want, the good principles that I want for success. And so you know what, family? This is the reason why people are walking away from the church today. Because remember what I said, the number one reason why people are walking away from the church? God turned his back on me because they were told, all I got to do is be a Christian and I'll experience the good life. I'll have the good things in life. I'm not going to suffer. God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. All out of context. And they're here. And then guess what? It, they realize this isn't working for me. Christianity doesn't work. Jesus isn't helping me. The Holy Spirit's not helping. This isn't working. God turned his back on me, so I'm going to turn my back on him. He promised a good life. He promised our best life now. And I'm not living it. It's not working out for me. So they eject. They leave the church. You know, when I'm engaging with unbelievers in the marketplace, this is always brought up. That's always brought up. Hey, Shane, you know what? All this preaching and stuff that you're doing, this is why people are walking away from the church. This is why many are leaving the church. People don't want to hear this stuff. People don't want to hear about sin. People don't want to hear about reconciliation. People don't want to hear about propitiation. They don't want to hear about predestination. They don't want to hear about all of that stuff. Stop doing that. They don't want the difficulty. They don't want to have to think. They don't want the deep things. They want to hang out in the shallow end of the pool. This is why people are leaving the church today. Well, you know what? If you really knew the deep things of God and you really knew theology, you would know why people are leaving the church today. Do you know why people are really leaving the church today? Because they were never Christians in the first place. Yeah, see, this is why I get in trouble when I preach. You know what else is the other reason why? Because men love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds are evil. We love those things that bring darkness into the world. We want the easy way. We want the easy way to worldly treasures. We want the good life. But what we don't realize is we actually need life. No sense in having the good life if you don't have life. I think I heard it once by God, I think. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Yeah, the richest man in the world. You were president of the United States of the world. And you're going to spend the rest of your life in eternity in hell. Good job. The reason why this is is because of the distortion in our thinking, the noetic effects of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We are all by nature children of wrath and the wages of sin is death. The wrath of God is being poured out on all humanity, outer darkness, eternal fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the reality. This is why every single person here in this church, we need to pray for Frank's sister. 
Because I actually believe that what the Bible says is true. There is condemnation. There is suffering for those who are not in Christ. It's there. It's there. It's a reality. We pray for our loved ones. We pray because I don't want anybody. I don't want none of your loved ones. I don't want none of your friends. I don't want anybody to have to experience that. What I want is for all of them to understand this important truth. Can you be saved from this? Absolutely. We can be saved because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can we be saved from this? Absolutely we can. But it's found in Christ and in Christ alone. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of this stuff is written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. We're so worried about lifestyle in our country. Forget the fact that we actually need life first. All of this comes from the word of God that's delivered by the psalmist. He says the word of God is more valuable than millions in gold and silver, especially in times of suffering. Our tendency is to walk away. But family, today, if you're having a difficult time, if you're suffering, when the time comes when you do deal with suffering, the, re the recommendation is this. Run. Don't walk. Run to the Lord. And don't look back. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.